Today's episode is brought to you by Lynda.com, Cards Against Humanity, and the App Camp Quiz Compendium. This week's episode of Inquisitive marks the end of Behind the App. Over the course of this series, we have covered the processes and emotions that developers go through during the development of their apps, as well as documenting the current state of the App Store and its ecosystem as of 2015. For the final episode, I've spoken of a handful of people within the App Store industry to see what they think the future may look like, both for them and for the industry at large. So for the last time, let's go Behind the App. Making money on the App Store is key to the platform continuing. One way or another, the developers that create the App Store ecosystem need to be able to support themselves, and where applicable, their teams. The methods people choose for pricing their apps has been a well-explored topic all throughout this series, so I decided that this would be a good place to start when looking towards the future. To kick off this conversation, here's David Smith on how his business is performing. I made the best year, like the best year of sales I ever made in the App Store in terms of overall income um, was 2013. Um, so about two years ago. And that's a story that I've heard mirrored from just conversations with lots of other developers, people who've been doing this for six years. Like that was the peak um, period of, you know, just general sort of indie income in the App Store, I think. Um, at this point, I still make a good living. I make more money from the App Store than I would probably be able to make just as a, a at a job job. Um, but it's nowhere. It's you know, it's it's a fraction of what it was earlier. Um, and so it's sustainable insofar as, you know, it's a good living that I make from it. It's not um, quite as crazy as it used to be, but it's settled down and is sustainable. And the big question that I face now is the question of if like it's settled off and like for the last year my income has been almost completely flat like in a good way like i'd rather it be flat than down um in a way that you know even in some ways even better than it growing up because that create like that volatility isn't maybe even as desirable and so i kind of like that it's just sort of settled out and hopefully it just stays where it is and if it does you know i'm a happy camper i'll just sit here continuing to make apps continue doing updates um for as long as this train's going to run Marco Arment experimented with a different pricing structure with his app Overcast, making it free up front, but with an in-app purchase available to unlock some features. I wondered how he felt these kinds of strategies could adapt as we go forward. Well, you know, Apple just, as we record this, they just announced their earnings and they for the quarter, and they said somewhere in the commentary of that that, they were, that they, this was boosted by record App Store sales. And if you talk to independent developers in this community, I don't think you would get the same picture from them. You know, I, I think if you talk to people like me, you know, small independent developers who are making apps and trying to sell them for money in some way, whether it's free upfront or in-app purchase the way I do it, um, if you talk to in- independent developers, I don't think they're telling you that they are hitting record highs of sales. Uh, I, I think if anything sales are at a plateau that it slowly declines for most people, uh, myself included. That's usually how, how my apps go, and that's certainly how Overcast is going. And that's fine. You know, that's, that's how it's always been. But the, the overall number, I think the averages that everyone's making and the average sales you can expect every day and everything, I think that's overall going down for people. And I, I think the, the record-breaking App Store sales are happening outside of this community. And, and I don't know where they are happening. I don't have that information. If I had to take a guess, uh, I would bet that a lot of it is those top-grossing apps, that, you know, the freemium apps that have the games that use all the tricks that, that people in our community don't really want to do and probably couldn't do if we tried. Um, all the psychological tricks to you know trick people to spend more money and convince their family to spend money so they don't let down their family and friends and all this, all these crazy uh, nonsense tricks that all these big social games and stuff use. We don't do that, and we we as a community kind of stand outside of that and and are very proud to be outside of that. But we're also, I think, going to have to accept what that means for our income, which means that uh, we're not going to make the record-breaking app store sales. The we're not going to top the tra- the top-grossing charts. And as more and more people try to do exactly what we do, 
which is small developers trying to make a product and sell it for some money or give it away for free and make money later. Um, there are, what, over a million developers now on the iOS store, something like that. There are so many developers on the App Store, and, the number that, and that number keeps going up, that we are constantly going to be having more and more competition for what we do. You know, all the money that's going to the big social games and everything, that's almost a different environment. That's almost a different world from us. We don't really have to worry about that. What we do have to worry about is, oh, I make a podcast app. How many other people right now are working on a podcast app? Probably a lot. Not to mention the ones that are already on the store. Not to mention the ones that are already on the phone that Apple ships with every phone. So, so there's, there's lots of issues of just complete overcompetition, complete oversupply, overabundance of everything. And that makes it very hard to try to make money because when there's overabundance of everything and everyone else's stuff is free or close to it, how are you going to make money selling something for 10 bucks? You know, that's or, or whatever your price may be. Uh, it's very, very hard. And even if you're free, there's, a, there's so many other free ones that you have to compete for the attention to even download something for free. So that is the direction that, that, that we've been going in. Just more and more competition, more and more oversupply of apps, oversupply of developers, oversupply of anything that we can really think to make for the most part. Uh, that would appeal to a general audience at least. Um, and so we have to adapt to that world, to the world where anything we make is going to be cloned if it's easy. If it's, if it's hard, it'll take a little bit longer. It'll probably still be cloned. Uh, anything we make, chances are someone else has already made it. Chances are a lot of people have already made it, and chances are there's something else out there that does it for free. If it's a really big, really good idea, somebody like Apple will probably do it themselves and attempt to wipe you out that way. Uh, you know, so there's, there's this vicious and extremely plentiful and extremely persistent competition in pretty much everything. So how do you thrive in that environment? And there are ways. So that's, that, I think, is where, where we have to head. Uh, many of us are not good at this so far. You know, like the, the idea of working on one app that's really highly polished and does everything well and working on one app forever that you put years into and charge a premium price for, that is going to be harder and harder to maintain in this environment of oversupply and tons of free competition. Uh, something like what David Smith does, where you have lots of experiments and you don't invest a ton of time into an app before releasing it because you want to see if it works first, that is a much smarter way of adapting to this. And I think we're going to see a lot more people start to take that kind of approach. Or the people who don't want to take that approach will simply leave the market. When we come back from this break, we're going to hear from more developers about how they feel the App Store economy could change into the future. But first, please allow me to take a break to thank one of the companies that have helped make this series a possibility. This episode is brought to you by lynda.com, the online learning platform of over 3,000 on-demand video courses to help you strengthen your business, technology, and creative skills. For a free 10-day trial, visit lynda.com slash inquisitive. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash inquisitive. Lynda.com is for problem solvers, for the curious, for people who want to make things happen. Maybe you want to master Excel, learn negotiation tactics, build a website, or boost your Photoshop skills. Go to lynda.com and feed your curious mind. Whilst browsing around lynda.com, I have come across some incredible courses. Like, for example, maybe you want to learn a little bit about typography or the foundations of color as you're really interested in design. Maybe you want to get up and running with IFTTT and see how you can use automation to make your technology life that little more interesting. These are some of the incredible courses that you're able to get a handle on at lynda.com. These are all taught by experts who are really passionate about teaching. You can stream these courses and thousands more on demand, allowing you to learn at your own schedule and at your own pace. You can even watch them on your Android or iOS device on the go too. You can create and save playlists that you're able to share with others and you're able to follow along with each video with their great transcripts. Your lynda.com membership will give you unlimited access to training on hundreds of topics all for one flat rate. Whether you're looking to become an industry expert, you're passionate about a hobby, or you just want to learn something new, I want you to visit lynda.com slash inquisitive to sign up for your free 10-day trial. Thank you so much to lynda.com for supporting this show and all of Relay FM.
As well as being a Mac and iOS developer, in a former life Guy English worked in the video game industry. It seems that in 2015, if you want to make a lot of money on the App Store, freemium games are the way to go. Considering his background, I asked Guy, why doesn't he just go ahead and make a video game of his own? It's not as easy as you think. Um, yep, I could make a game uh, promoting it, getting it licensed uh, to use billionaire characters and all that. Uh, that takes a lot. It, it takes a lot more than just a guy programming to do it. That's not entirely true. Like a lot of indie games kind of tackle this. Um, I make what I want to make right now. Uh, I spend a lot of time making games. I enjoyed it. Great. I don't want to do that anymore. Um, and what kind of what you're suggesting is is a bit cynical. In that you know, I'd, I'd make a game in order to uh, capitalize on the um, prevalence of um, free-to-play in-app purchase games. Maybe I could make a good one. I don't. I don't know. But I'm not interested in it. And right now, and it. That that alone is enough to to stop me. Um, uh, for me, I don't know. I'm not interested in doing that right now. Am I interested in millions of dollars? Yes, you can send them my way. But right now, I'm not that interested, and I I don't have a game in mind to make. And I think if you don't have a game in mind to make, whatever you do will end up cynical and ultimately failing. So. I think stable businesses will be stable businesses. Um, like Rogue Amoeba, Omni Group, Panic, App Store come, App Store go. I, I think they will continue to do well. Um, there's a short list, but it's longer than, than I can enumerate. Um, the App Store has opened a lot of doors, and it's a huge opportunity. That said, um, along with that opportunity comes with the environment of the iOS app store, more or less. And that, that, that makes it tricky. Can, can we all keep doing what we want to do? Hopefully. I'd like that. Um, more or less, yes. But, you know... It's business. Either you run a successful business, like a lot of people have talked about, or you need to get out of the game and do something else. Um, personally, I think that there's a large enough market now that you could probably run a pretty good business. Is the App Store the best way? I don't know. Is iOS the best platform? I, I, I don't know. Years ago... People ran successful businesses on, on a platform that was, I don't know, like a hundredth of the size that it is today. Just based on that, I can't help but feel that there's enough room for everybody to at least make a go of it today. James Thompson, developer of PCalc for Mac and iOS, has been a developer on Apple platforms for over 20 years. During this time, he has seen some huge changes in the way that apps are sold. I asked James how business is for him right now, and also his opinion on how people should consider making money in the App Store today. I think the thing was, I started in a strange way in the, you know, 23 years ago, when I did the first PCALC, I just made it free. And uh, similarly with Drag Thing when that came out. And I never thought about charging money for them because I was really just doing it to learn. And I made them both paid and it started bringing in money and then it started bringing in a lot of money. And so I, I got to the point where it was like, oh, this this is actually a business. Uh, but that took a while. Um, but, you know, I started selling software. I was working this out last night. It was about 18 years ago. Um, 
and you know it's always brought in a reasonable amount of money when drag thing was at its height which was probably early 2000s uh maybe slightly before that the the money was uh, uh ridiculously high uh, and when that died down and started on ios i mean it is it was a comfortable living but you know i don't think it was as high as it was back then but the last year um like last three six five days has probably been the best we've had in the app store it was about three to four times what it was in the previous years i think it's uh increased visibility um particularly with all the the stuff with widget approval um that you know it, it was a stressful time but it, it got peacock mentioned in a lot of places that it was never mentioned before um and I suspect that is one reason. And, you know, I don't know how much of it is. I've made more of an effort in the last year to sort of be more visible and, you know, be on podcasts and talk at conferences and stuff. And I don't know how much that filters into the normal buying public, but it might filter into the kind of people who write stories about things. So it might have led to more press coverage. Considering James's time in the industry, he's been a part of some weird and wonderful things, including the coolware movement. I hadn't previously heard of this, so I wanted to find out a little more. Coolware was just, I put a line in the documentation saying, if you like my software, send me something cool. And people interpreted that in a variety of ways. It's like the weirdest things, like an original animation cell from the Pink Panther movie. Um, I think it was a... Uh, dried preserved moose dung on a stick for st- uh, t- uh, stirring your cocktails. Um, it was just all over the place, random weird stuff. A ton of t-shirts. I mean, like, I've got t-shirts for sort of weird hardware companies. And, and I don't mean hardware in the computing sense. I mean, like, you know, sort of um, so-and-so's tool shop. Uh, and just strange stuff. And the the... I think the line that I, I probably told you was that there was a, a marketing division of, uh, I think it was it was actually Coca-Cola's advertising company. I can't remember the name of them. But they came to me and they said, you know, our accounting department doesn't understand cool. Uh, can we just send you money instead? And it was like a light bulb moment of, oh, wait, people might actually give me money. Uh, and they gave me quite a lot of money. And... and uh, it was like that's that's I think where it all started. Throughout this series, I have been talking to people who have been app developers for many years, most of whom have been independent, working on their own projects. But there are always new people coming onto the scene who are now able to turn this into a full-time gig after doing their own development on the side for a number of years. In previous episodes, you will have heard me talking to Matt Bischoff of Lickability. Recently, one of his business partners, Brian Capps, quit his job at the New York Times to work on projects at Lickability full-time. In this final episode of Behind the App, I wanted to talk to Brian to see why he did this and to see how he feels about the App Store, now that his main source of income will be generated by it. I just started full-time at Lickability on April 6th this year, 2015, Um, so... Not not long full-time at Lickability. Uh, so Lickability is about six years old at this point, um, and we had planned to go full-time for about two years now. Uh, so it's been planned for a long time now, and I'm really happy to say we could finally do it. So the plan is eventually, of course, to have all three members of Lickability. There's me, uh, Matt Bischoff, who currently works at Tumblr, and Andrew Harrison, who currently works at the New York Times. The plan is eventually to have all three of us full-time at Lickability, and that be our, our main gig. Um, but the plan was to take one person full-time first for six months. And it's an experiment to make sure that the business works, that we can be profitable uh, in that six months. So that one person is me, uh, and, I, and I'm in the middle of that experiment right now. Uh, this has been, I think, our goal from the outset. So we started Lickability back in high school when my friend Matt uh, came up to me with an idea for writing this thing called an app. Um, and ever since then, we've known that we wanted to, to make Lickability a full-time thing. We love 
having control over the design, over the development. Um, we think that we have good, well-informed design opinions and development opinions, and we like sort of exerting that control um, and making great products. And so, yeah, we wanted to do it for a while, and I'm, I'm glad we can do it. For us, it was taking our time and waiting until we had enough money to do it. But in terms of how did we get there to make that money, I think what differentiates people in the App Store today is marketing. It's such a crowded App Store full of all kinds of different apps and probably a dozen apps doing exactly what you're doing. Marketing is what makes the difference. And so that includes uh, you know, making friends with people in the press, sending out, uh, instead of just sending out your press release to every website you can think of, really considering your emails to people, considering your calls to people, um, and having a solid marketing plan, for lack of a better term. I think marketing is what does differentiate app developers in today's day and age. I think it's definitely difficult. With Lookability, we took a very conservative approach. We took six years to build up the funds and the know-how to do this. Uh, so there's lots of opportunity for, for startups and for, for money right now. We're in a sort of a bubble for VC funding for uh, tech companies. But uh, I definitely think it's, it's possible, um, but it is, it is difficult and you have to do it right and you have to have a good plan. Once we come back from this break, we're going to start talking about changes to developer guidelines and start looking more broadly about what the future of the App Store may be. But before we do that, let me take a moment to share this message from Cards Against Humanity. They've been a great supporter of this show, and they've spoken to a pair of really inspirational women about a game that they've been making of their own. Andy and I created Tampon Run as our final project for Girls Who Code, which is an organization trying to get more girls into tech. So we did a summer program there last summer where we both learned how to code and then in the last two weeks created Tampon Run. Um, and Tampon Run is a side-scrolling, um, endless runner game that features a girl who throws tampons at oncoming enemies. And the point is to combat the menstrual taboo um, and uh, create thought and discussion about it to show people that it's not embarrassing or crude. So Tampon Run from Girls Who Code originated as a web game, but uh, we were put in touch with Pivotal Labs, which is a major agile development company. And they decided to work with us pro bono because they wanted to support us as young females learning to code and just joining the tech field, and they really liked Tampon Run. So we worked with them for seven weeks, and we paired daily with the developers. We worked with a whole team to add new features to the game, and at the end of the seven weeks, we had an iOS app, and that's how Tampon Run ended up in the App Store. Hi, I'm Sophie Hauser. And I'm Andy Gonzalez, and you can find us on at Tampon Runner at Twitter. Get any developer in a room for long enough and they'll have a story about wrestling with the App Store review guidelines. Most developers are able to work within the guidelines, some have helped push them forward, but others have been thwarted. It's a necessary part of doing business on the App Store. Apple wants to control the platform in a specific way and the guidelines were created and have been updated to reflect Apple's plans. Many people have called for reform of the guidelines over the years. Some have had an effect, but mostly people accept that whilst Apple remains dominant, it's extremely unlikely that there'll be any vast changes. I think the biggest thing that Apple could do with their review guidelines, uh, and this is a lot of it's about trying to improve the overall quality of the App Store, um, is... I think I don't think they should, should change necessarily the rules they have. Like I think overall, I'm someone who generally thinks the app review guidelines um, and the way that they do app review works pretty well. It's it's not perfect by any means, but it works pretty well. Um, but I, something that I've always wanted to thought that Apple should do is to be to apply their apply the review guidelines on an ongoing basis um, to some to some definition of ongoing, where as apps age and sort of aren't updated that at a certain point they would not 
be part of the store because they can't meet the app review guidelines. You know, so like right now, if you create a new app and put it into the app store, it has to support the, I think it's just the five, the, like the, the four inch iPhone screen size. Like it has to support at least the iPhone five and five S. Um, but there are, I'm sure many thousands of apps that don't support that size. And so if they submitted that, you know, that same app that's in the store right now for app review, it would fail app review automatically. And so like, as an example, that's the kind of thing that I think Apple should be applying app review on a more ongoing basis to make sure that any app you download in the app store is meets the current set of review guidelines. Uh, Cause I think overall the guidelines are good. And I think they catch a lot of things that are undesirable and I think it's good that, you know, that they exist. And I think if they could make sure that if at any point, if you download an app in the app store, it meets those guidelines, that would be, I think, the biggest change they could make uh, for the better. Well, yes, app review, my old nemesis. <laughs> um, it's not really true. I mean, uh, apart from the incident with Peacock's widget last year, which was fairly quickly resolved, I haven't had any great significant problems with app review. You know, Peacock is usually approved pretty quickly, and the few times I've requested an expedited review because of a serious bug or something, it's been granted. Um, I think it could certainly be faster, and I think that's the main complaint people would have, or developers would have. But I don't know if it's just a case of adding more people to the app review group, um, because I imagine that the recent problems we've seen with app review rejections are partially down to They've got an absolute flood of apps and they're adding more and more people all the time. And the more people you have, it's harder to apply the rules consistently. Um, You know, I mean, let's say for the sake of argument that there's like 100 reviewers. I don't know how many there are. Um, They've had three and a half thousand watch apps that were submitted just a few weeks ago. How long does that take for them to go through? Um, Not counting all the other apps that they have to look at. Um, so I don't know how you solve it. I don't see them just opening the floodgates and removing the review process entirely. But I think doubling the number of reviewers would lead to more inconsistencies in app review. The one thing that I have seen is uh, when you're doing a build for a beta testing um, through test flight, the first build that you uh, send in has to go through a sort of mini app review, which for me took about two, three days, which I've had app review take that long. And, but then for subsequent builds of that, that one build, there's a little checkbox which you can uh, set, which says, you know, have you made any major changes? And you can say no. And if you say no, you don't go through app review again. It, they just kind of trust you. And uh, that lets you, like, I, you can do, I think, two builds in a 24-hour period. Um, but that means that you're not having to sit for three days. And I wonder if that could be extended out to, um, actual proper app review, you know, maybe for trusted developers or for something to, to say that, you know, this is a minor update. I'm just fixing some bugs. I've not added like a hundred new features and they go, okay, we, we trust you. Um, it, it, it's possible. I think the problem with all these things is they get abused by a small number of people and then that ruins it for everybody else. I don't think we're going to see any meaningful change to the way app review works, the way Apple's policies work in the store, any of the major rules that we butt up against. Uh, I I would not expect to see any major changes there uh, for the foreseeable future. I mean, if you look back at the history of the app store so far, you know, we've had it now for, uh, what, about seven years now? And the the basics, the, the, the majority of the rules have not changed that entire time. Most of the really big rules, the really like nasty, hairy ones that we keep running into, have been there either since the beginning or since near the beginning. And I wouldn't expect Apple to really make meaningful changes there because they have no reason to. They, there's, like, there's nobody saying, well, I'm not going to develop for Apple anymore. I'm going to go move my, my awesome app ideas over to Android, they're going to take over the world because Apple had this one rule I disagree with. That hasn't happened yet. And maybe that will start happening down the road. But so far, Apple has absolutely no reason to change any of their policies. And, and I can't blame them. You know, they, the position they're in is, is of extreme power. And 
there there doesn't seem to be a an obvious road to disrupt that power in a way that they would care about that would be big enough to matter. So, you know, I mean, look at Android. Android is huge, and it still doesn't make Apple change these rules. <laughs> so, if if the if the massive popularity of Android can't do it, uh, what would? But where do we go from here? What does the App Store look like in the next 5, 10, 15 years? Presumably, we're going to see more platforms, more features, and increased expectation for what makes a truly good app. I don't feel fully equipped to predict where Apple is going to be taking the App Store, which is why I asked this question to David, Guy, James, and Marco. I think the biggest challenge that the App Store is facing now is, as it is grown to be so vast Um, i think as we're talking now i think it's about one and a half million applications or something like that it i don't know if it has that any one personality anymore and not to say that necessarily it had it had one to start with but at that size it is just like a, a wild metropolis of all kinds of things and all manner of things and so when I think about what that looks like going forward, because I think it's continuing to grow too. It's not like it's hit it's this hit a magic point where it's just stopped and it's just sitting there. Like there are still new apps that are launched every single week. I wonder what it's going to be like to, you know, to stand out to, um, to, to, or it's like both to stand out and to fit in when the app store is so big, like in many ways it's become very unwieldy, uh, like there was a time when I felt like I knew all of the successful apps in the App Store. Like I was aware of them and I tried them out because at the time it was small enough that I could do that. I could sit down and be like every week, you know, like all the new apps come out. I would sit down and like look at the ones that were doing well, download them and try them out. And that's just not really possible now. Like I probably if I wanted to do something like that, it would be my full time job. And so when I look forward to what the App Store becomes like what does it look like if in a few years from now it's you know three million apps four million apps like it becomes a kind of a mind-bending thing and at a certain point it's hard to really feel like the app store is getting better and better with every app that's being added to it Um, and so there's a part of me that wonders and hopes that the app store at some point might start to contract again that apple would try and have to like get over the get over the the mindset that having a big app store is an important and vital thing. You know, when they get up on stage at WWDC or a keynote and say, hey, look at us, we have so many apps, and instead try and pare that down in a way to make it more and more, um, you know, manageable, that you could really think about it and look at it and know, um, you know, what are the good apps? What are, what are the things that are still being maintained and worked on? Because I think there is a, still a tremendous opportunity, obviously. Like, Apple sells so many iPhones, and there is such a tremendous demand for people um, to do things on those phones that, you know, there's a lot of attention available. And it's just trying, as a developer, trying to make a living in such a crazy, overcrowded space um, just gets, you know, mind-bettingly difficult. The, The sort of broad strokes, the grand gestures of the App Store, I don't think will change. Um... Uh, the 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 race at the bottom, the uh, prevalence of applications that are sort of light on innovation, for lack of a better word, and are heavy on um, manipulation, and 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 that sounds so cynical and depressing, uh, but that's more or less where we are with the app store right now. Uh, I, I I don't think that trend is going to change if we add watch apps or Apple TV apps or, or, or anything. Um, I think that's endemic to the model. I, I'm, I wish it was different. You asked me for a more or less like, a, you know, like a clinical opinion. And I think that's, that's it. We can expand platforms. We can expand um, ideas and yet, I think that the the App Store model is still going to settle more or less where it is now. And 
I think just for our own happiness, we should realize that what the App Store is is more or less at this point a reflection of what the market is in terms of who is willing to buy software. Um, it may not be the people that, not the people, it may not be the, the, the environment in which we'd like to sell software. But ultimately, um, that's it. That's uh, like Apple has succeeded in that they've given us a marketplace to sell software in. And ultimately, it's kind of cutthroat, race to the bottom. And I don't want to say the best, but the, the, the most interesting and innovative software doesn't always rise at the top. Well, I think the future is going to be app stores everywhere. I mean, I think it's pretty certain we're going to see a new Apple TV with a store on it in the very near future. I mean, I've been saying that for about five years now, but I'm pretty sure this WWDC is going to be the one. Um, it makes just too much sense not to do it. Uh, I mean, even I was just thinking about this, even purely from the point of view of games, you know, you couple it with an official Apple game controller, you know, make sure it can run Minecraft okay, and you're done. You know, they could probably do something about the same or more powerful as an Xbox 360, price it $99, and be good. Uh, and if you, you want a good conspiracy theory, um, maybe you get Nintendo on board making exclusive games for it. That's the real story why they did this shift to mobile, but they couldn't say that at the time. So you've got new Apple TV with new new Super Mario Brothers on it, day one. There you go. Um, but yeah, I mean, anywhere that Apple has got a product, I think there's going to be an associated store for it. You know, maybe not for the car, but um, at least not at first. Uh, but I mean, we're, we're currently seeing the old gold rush mentality back for the Apple Watch with, you know, there's three and a half thousand apps available for it on launch. Even if somewhat ironically, there doesn't seem to be much gold in the watch. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I think it's just going to be a gradual expansion out. And I think Apple TV is definitely going to be... I think Apple TV will be more important than the watch. I think we're at an interesting time right now because we are, you know, as we record this, the watch was just released. And so now there's this whole other platform that we have to develop for, that we that we have the opportunity to make good things for, that we have to follow and deal with and keep updated on and everything. And this this has just made the independent Apple developer people's worlds bigger by by having this other platform. And there's all these rumors going around that in a couple of months there might even be an SDK for the Apple TV. And what if in five years there's an Apple car and then there's an SDK for the Apple car? Uh, there's all these different things. And, you know, in the olden days, the, the world of being an independent Apple developer really just meant you focused on the Mac. And you had one app to build for one platform and that was it. And then later on when the iPhone existed uh, and then later, shortly after that, the iPad existed, it was, all right, now you have just iOS or just the Mac or maybe for a few people, both. Uh, and that was enough that, you know, you could do a whole business based on only an iOS app. And even then, it could even just be only an iPhone app. And I feel like now all of that is changing to be so much bigger. Now you have the watch that's added to the iPhone and the iPad and maybe the Mac. And maybe next year you have the Apple TV added to those things. And then maybe the year after that, there's something else, some other weird thing that we have to keep up with and follow. And I, I think we're, we're, we're leaving the point, and even, even just within iOS itself, iOS has gotten way more complex than it used to be. Now, if you want to make an iOS app that is like top shelf quality, you have to have extensions. You might have to have a Today View widget. You might have, to have a sharing widget. You have all these, all these different things you have to do. It has to work on these many different phone sizes, uh, possibly be universal with iPad and everything. So like, the, the amount of work that's required to make a single, well-respected, good-quality app, uh, I think is quickly escaping the amount of work that one person can really do on their own. And that is a first for the Apple world. You know, that it used to really just be that one person could make one highly polished app and be done with it, and that, that could be their, 
their sole income. That could be their professional life. That could be what they're most known for. Uh, it could do well uh, against its competitors in the field. But these days, I, I think you can see that already crumbling, uh, both with a, a massive influx of competition and with the App Store and, and the platforms getting so much more complex and bigger and more numerous. And I think in the future, that's only going to accelerate, where we're only going to see even more uh, things that you have to do to make a, a decent app on the platform uh, that, that will actually make it harder for independent developers to compete. When looking at the future of development, one thing that's worth considering is who the developers will be that are actually making these apps. Diversity in development is a hot topic right now, and it's something that more people are looking at much more seriously. Jim McDonald is behind App Camp for Girls, a nonprofit that seeks to address the gender imbalance in technology professions by inspiring middle school age girls with a broad introduction to the process of app development, from brainstorming and designing ideas to building and pitching their apps. I wanted to talk with Jean a little to find out why she started App Camp and what she thinks the future of development could look like. Uh, the initial impetus came for me when I was at WWDC. Um, and I suddenly became aware, uh, acutely aware how there were almost no women in this big conference of, uh, Apple developers. It's something that I always knew intellectually, but it just hit me one day, like this just doesn't seem right. There's really no reason that women can't be doing this kind of work, um, or be interested in this kind of work. So uh, something has got to change. And for me personally, I knew that I would not be able to continue to attend WWDC if I just ignored that fact it was not going to work for me anymore. I would have to do something about it. Um, and I had worked with a program here in Portland, Oregon called Rock and Roll Camp for Girls. And they do a pretty amazing thing in, in the space of a week where they take girls who have many of whom never done any kind of music, uh, music training. And they, they teach them an instrument. They, uh, girls form bands, they write a song and they perform in a rock and roll showcase in a big theater at the end of the week. So they go from zero to rock star in five days. And I liked that model because there was uh, a payoff at the end. The girls saw that, yes, they could be rock stars too. Um, and I wondered if there was some way to make that model work for app development. Because of this, this disparity at WWDC and, and elsewhere in the tech world, um, there's, a, there's women in marketing and women in PR. It's not as stark a difference as there is at this level of development, actual engineering and, and programming it's it's quite um, quite lopsided at, at that WWDC. I think there was only about five percent women in the audience. So, um, and these jobs are important to the economy and to the culture. I mean, I think that we all recognize now the the power of apps to shape the reality um, that we live in today. And also to shape, um, you know, the, the economy, there's uh, so many billions of dollars being spent on apps and app development, and women are being left out of this whole very, you know, thriving, rich area of the economy if uh, they don't learn how to do that part of the job. I had only a very shallow um, familiarity with the process. Uh, I worked at Smile for, you know, almost 10 years. And so I had a very good overview of what it took to get a product um, made and launched and updated and so forth. But I didn't know how to make those products myself. Um, the, um, the, but I knew enough to know that I could learn it. I just, you know, I took computer science when I was in college and I had done web development uh, 
as a freelancer before I joined Smile. So I figured it was something that I could learn. But I, I did not, I had never made an app myself and I didn't know personally how to go from zero to finished app. And that's when I decided to go uh, to Big Nerd Ranch for a week and have a crash course in that. <laughs> <laughs> We've made it so that girls and their parents and people who know about App Camp um, know that there's a fun side to creating apps. And I don't think it's, it's emphasized enough when we hear stuff about oh, everybody has to learn how to code now. It sounds like, oh, man, you know, let's, let's all chain ourselves to our computers and start learning. Um, let's do an hour of code or a day of code. Um, that's important, but um, I think it, to get people who, who aren't naturally drawn to the idea of coding into app development, you have to show them that it's a creative um, endeavor and that... Especially, you know, we're running a summer camp here, so we feel very strongly that by the end of the week, the girls need to feel like they had a fun week. It wasn't just um, that they learned something, but that they had a good time. And so um, we've, and that's what we found with the girls, um, you know, in their feedback at the end of the week is that they really enjoyed the week and having the opportunity to hang out and get to know other girls who are interested in computers and apps and, and such. Um, and then the, the interesting corollary that is, ha, wasn't in our minds when we started AppCamp, but has become really clear is that AppCamp has been um, very important to women, the volunteers as well, because uh, it's a similar phenomenon. These, these women have worked in, in a field where they've been the only woman or you know one of very few and then they come to app camp to volunteer and they're on a team with a bunch of women who are interested in um, in computer programming and and app development and they feel supported by each other and for the ones who volunteer who haven't actually built apps before they they learn something about app development and in some cases go on and become app developers themselves it's only been a couple of years. This will be our third summer coming up. So our our initial group of campers is still in high school. Um, I know that some of them have continued with their interest in app development and are even starting their own coding clubs at school, app development clubs, not just coding, and um, or making apps for the schools themselves. Um, and I expect to see those girls at WWDC, maybe, you know, and, and maybe sooner than, than we think. Who knows? Um, but I, I'm not feeling, I, I'm not expecting it to change overnight, but I do think that it will change because it is such an obvious place where girls and women have a lot to contribute and they just haven't had the outlet they haven't been encouraged to contribute and now that so many people are focusing on this problem and money and resources are being committed to to encouraging more girls and women and and people of color i mean it's it's there's a lot of um diverse groups that i expect we will see um grow in percentages over um, over the years. And I expect, let's see, what is 2015? If I'm at WWDC in 2025, first of all, tell me it's time to retire. <laughs> <laughs> second of all, I expect to feel, I don't know, I don't expect it to be 50-50 by then, but I expect it to feel more like a 30-70 split. So you can file that away for, for flame chowder in the future. <laughs> I was so pleased to get to talk to Jean for this show. App Camp for Girls is an incredible thing that I couldn't support more completely. And today, I want to tell you about a way that you can support them too. 
During the camp, the girls are tasked with making an iOS quiz game. In one week, the campers brainstorm ideas, design icons and the interface, build their quizzes in Xcode and make their own swag. Each session culminates in a fun pitch with a panel of women investors and entrepreneurs where the girls get to show off their work. These quizzes have now been turned into a compendium app that you can download yourself on the App Store. The App Camp Quiz Compendium features 15 personality quizzes built by the 60 girls in teams of four, and it's just 99 cents on the App Store right now. Within a few days of the app being released, it went to number one in the top paid entertainment apps, even beating out Disney. The sense of pride and achievement that this instills in the campers cannot be bought. It's things like this that give people the kickstart that they need to plan a future career in development. You can help out App Camp for Girls directly by purchasing this app right now on the App Store. You can find out more about the compendium and about App Camp in general by visiting appcampforgirls.com. Whilst you're there, if you know someone who'd be a perfect fit for the camp, applications are still being accepted for the summer 2015 sessions in Vancouver, Canada and Seattle. The two Portland sessions have been filled, but there are wait lists for future camps now open. Make a difference today and go and buy the App Camp Quiz Compendium. This is something that deserves it. Over the course of this series, I've had the pleasure of being able to examine a topic that is near and dear to my heart. I love my iOS devices, and the reason I do is because of the apps that I get to use on them. My iPhone is just the thing that carries some really incredible software that people have worked tirelessly over that makes my device a joy to use. My favorite apps tend to be those made by indie developers. I love the passion and skill that are evident within them. I love the risks they take, and I love the things that they help me learn. I wanted to create this series to document what it's like to be a developer in this subsection of the App Store ecosystem. There is a much wider portion taken up by companies like Electronic Arts and Facebook, but the part that I love the most is occupied by the people that you've heard during this series. I really hope that you've enjoyed Behind the App as much as I have. Next week, I'm going to be starting a new series on Inquisitive, in which you'll be hearing me talk to people about their favourite albums. I love music, as many people do, and I wanted to try and take some time to understand why people gravitate towards certain artists and certain bodies of work. Over the course of this new series, I'll be talking with some people that you'll be familiar with about something that they're not really known for. I hope that you tune in. Inquisitive is a production of Relay FM. You can find show notes and links for this episode at relay.fm slash inquisitive slash 37. Inquisitive is produced by Stephen Hackett, Adina Nyamsu, and me. Marco Savage is our editorial advisor. I want to take a moment to thank everybody who has helped out with this show and to everyone who has given their time to make it happen. The music you've heard in today's episode was created and provided by Brave Wave Productions. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show, tell your friends, and rate us on iTunes. I really hope you've enjoyed Behind the App and that you stick around for what is next. Support for this episode has come from Cards Against Humanity, Lender.com, and the App Camp Quiz Compendium. You can find out more about this show and all of our shows at Relay FM by visiting us online at relay.fm. I am Mike Hurley at imike, I-M-Y-K-E on Twitter. Thank you so much for listening.